Okay, you guys, this spring, if you've been with us, we've been chipping away at the Gospel of John. And so uh, for Easter, we, we jumped ahead a little bit, and then we're, we went back uh, to the end of John 4 last week, and now we're in John 5. And so I've asked my friend Connie Root to come and read the passage. As she's coming up, you can use this microphone, and I could, yeah, yeah, this one right here. Yeah, 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 and I'll lower this for you. And you guys, let's stand together. Uh, by the way, um, Connie and Marty, this is their first Sunday back with us in person since March the 8th of last year. So we are so excited to see y'all face to face. So yeah, she's going to be reading uh, Rom- Romans, um, John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida which has five roofed colonnades in these lay a multitude of invalids blind lame and paralyzed one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. One more verse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, two. Keep going. (laughs) This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. And then verse 17, which you skipped. It's okay. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. This comes before. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Awesome. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Thank you, Connie. Okay, in uh, Wes Anderson's film, The Royal Tenenbaums, uh, we meet this very interesting and eclectic family. Gene Hackman, 
plays Royal Tenenbaum, this very self-centered patriarch of this very dysfunctional family. Ben Stiller plays the adult son. Uh, his name is Chaz Tenenbaum. And Chaz is the father of these two twin boys, and he's also been recent, recently widowed. His wife uh, died in a plane crash the year prior. Chaz Tenenbaum is this very regimented father. His uh, two boys wear like matching tracksuits, if you can remember that image. And he has all these rules for these boys, uh, particularly around their safety. And there's a scene near the film, near the end of the film, where everything is just kind of falling apart for Chaz Tenenbaum. He's been wrecked by his own grief. He's had this very contentious relationship with his father, and he's trying so hard to hold things together for himself and his boys. And then, at the very end, his dog dies. And all this stuff is happening to him, and happened to him, and he's kneeling in the middle of the street, and he says to his father, he sighs, he goes, I've had a rough year, Dad. And there's something away, there's something about the way that Ben Stiller like delivers that line that just wrecks me every time I see it. And I think many of us this morning would say that very same thing. It's been a rough year. And so in this passage, in John 5, we meet someone who hasn't just had one rough year, but 38 rough years. And in this almost four-decade season of this guy's life, he has an encounter with Christ. I love how John, uh, the writer, in his gospel gives us these vignettes, uh, these little stories of these encounters that Jesus had with real people and real conversations. And so John sat down sometime in the late first century and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he chose a handful of stories that would best communicate who Jesus is, what he's like, the things that he said and taught, his encounters, his interactions, his conversation with all kinds of different types of people, and then his progression towards the cross and the empty tomb where Jesus will redeem the lost and rebellious kids of God. In these stories, in these narratives as well, uh, John wants us, the reader, to kind of place ourselves like in the stories as well. Like how are we like the people that Jesus is talking to? So for example, these are passages that we've already looked at. How are we like Nicodemus? Uh, this Pharisee who is most likely trusting in his own merit, his own works for salvation. How are we like the woman at the well, looking to other waters to quench our eternal thirst? How are we like Thomas, full of doubt and need and in need of reassurance? How are we like this father that Brian Lowe uh, talked about last week, at the end of John 4, begging Jesus to heal his son. And in this passage, how are we like this 
paralyzed man? Or how are we like the religious uh, authorities that we see at the end of this passage? So let's set the scene here. This takes place during a festival in Jerusalem, which means the city would be full of people. Uh, And John tells us that this takes place uh, near the temple in a place called the Pool of Bethsaida. It was a large pool, and it had five, like, roofed colonnades uh, to shield the sun um, from the people who were hanging there. An urban legend had kind of been created that uh, when the waters were stirred, most likely by like a subterranean spring, um, word on the street was also that an angel would kind of come down and kind of do this. Um, But it was probably a spring uh, that was stirring the waters. And supposedly, if you got in the the pool quick enough, you were healed with whatever ailment that you had. So this is similar, if you remember, uh, FDR, would travel down to Warm Springs, Georgia um, to treat his polio. So kind of the same, same kind of thing happening here. John tells us that this pool had attracted a large number of disabled people. And John zooms his lens on just this one man, this paralyzed man, who had been there for 38 years. 38 years. That's a long time. And so Jesus is there, but he's there without his disciples, which I find very interesting. So he's kind of incognito. He's kind of walking around. Perhaps he's got one of those like Gandalf kind of hoods on, kind of walking around and just kind of laying low. But he's there without his disciples. And then Jesus sees this one man. Let's stop here just for a moment. Jesus saw him. This is encouraging for those of us who sometimes feel unseen or unknown. Like, do you believe that Jesus sees you? Like, in the crowd of Boone, in the crowd of ASU, does Jesus see you? Does he know you? In this church, are you seen? Are you known? When I was a kid, I uh, played baseball, and I was really bad, like so bad. Um, My batting average was zero. (laughs) Like every time I stepped up to the plate, struck out. And so my parents told me, if you make contact with the ball, we'll give you $20. So I was like, all right, let me try that. And so at the next game, I stepped up to the plate. I may have winked at the pitcher. And um, he threw the ball. I swung the bat. I could feel the vibration of the bat because it made contact with the ball. The ball went hurling down the third baseline. I remember throwing the bat up and screaming, I hit it! And I looked, at the, I looked in the stands, my parents were there, and they were, they were like, yes! They were cheering, go Scott! There was confusion in the stands because the ball went foul. But it didn't matter. It did not matter. I made contact with the ball. And so 
I remember um, a few minutes later striking out <laughs> and taking my place on the bench. And I remember looking off into the stands and I saw my dad and he just was kind of looking at me. And he had this look, if you've seen the uh, seen the Field of Dreams, there's this one little scene, it's quick, but it's where this scene where uh, uh, Archibald Graham, Doc, uh, steps up to the plate, hits, you know, hits the ball, and then he sits at the bench, and then he sees Kevin Costner, and there's this look between the two that communicates, like, passion, love, empathy. That's the kind of look that my dad gave me. And then he gave me 20 bucks. <laughs> you guys, that's, um, that is the look of Jesus. When Jesus sees you, that's how he looks at you, full of compassion, full of love, full of empathy. And I think that's the way Jesus was looking at this guy in John 5. Jesus walks up to him and he asks, do you want to be healed? The NIV translates it as, do you want to get well? And on the surface, this is an outrageous question because the man must have thought, do I want to be healed? Are you kidding me? And this is like asking the guy on the side of the interstate when his car is pulled over and the hood is up and you kind of stop by and go, hey, buddy, you having car troubles? <laughs> yeah, I am. And I love this question that Jesus asked because there's some layers to it. And the first thing that jumps out to me is the possibility that Jesus is using sarcasm in the way that he asked this question. Because when Jesus sees him, he knows already that he's been there for a very long time. And it's as if Jesus is saying, hey man, you've been here for 38 years. Do you really, do you really want to get well? And so Jesus is inviting him to go deeper. And you guys, he's inviting us to go deeper. Like, how would you answer that question that Jesus is asking? Do you want to get better? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Sometimes it's easier for us to just kind of sit and stay in our wounds and in our pain, our, our lameness, than it is to move out and live, uh, live in faith and live in our freedom that we have in Christ. Like our wounds, our pain can become like friends. Like, yes, it hurts, but at least it's familiar. Like if Jesus heals this man, this guy's life is going to change. He will not be able to sit at this pool like he's been sitting for 38 years. So he knows that if he is healed, he has to kind of step out into the unknown, which is scary. I think, I think a lot of us are like this guy. Like some of us are dealing with past wounds that kind of creep into our present and they just kind of hang there. And we get a little complicit with just 
this is, this is the, I'm just going to hang in my, my pain, my wound, my lameness. And we've got people in our lives who are kind of maybe speaking into that, who see it, who recognize it, and we're just kind of like, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. Um, some of us have real pain, real hurt, real trauma that just paralyzes us. And so often we don't know what to do with our wounds. So we either ignore them or we, we self-medicate. And so when Jesus says to this guy later on in this story, he says, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. He may be alluding that his lengthy time of 38 years of sitting in his pain was actually sinful. Which means that if we are sitting in our pain, in our wounds, and we're not seeking help, like real help, from the Lord, from his people, from a, a trained counselor, it's very possible that we may be sinning too. And so when Jesus asked this guy, do you want to get well, he's inviting him and us to do like the hard work of knowing our hearts and then also knowing our, what our greatest needs are. So listen to this man Listen to how he answers Jesus' question. So Jesus says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? And then he says in verse 7, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus might be thinking, hey, man, like, you actually have bigger issues than someone not putting you in the pool because you've been here for 38 years. Rather than truly wanting to be healed, perhaps this man found it comfortable to wallow in maybe his self-pity. Like he, he was looking in rather than looking up. And Jesus, in his compassion, chooses to heal him anyway. Um, I love how Jesus just kind of cuts to the chase. And he just says, he just says this. He says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And then John tells us in verse 9, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. So there's that. This guy who could not walk for 38 years is supernaturally healed by God and now he's walking. Now you would think that's the end of the story. That Jesus kind of heals this guy and then you tie a little bow on the top and then you move on, not this one. It's very possible that Jesus healed this man to create some conflict with the religious authorities. Because he doesn't heal this guy on a Tuesday, he heals him on a Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath day of rest. And so listen to the dialogue between the healed man. So now this healed guy is walking around the temple these Jewish religious leaders see him, don't know if they were aware that he had been uh, paralyzed for 38 years, but they see him carrying his bed, his mat. And they say, hey man, you can't do that. You can't carry your bed around, this is the Sabbath. 
which is very interesting because um, if they knew he was healed, they don't want to admit it. And so there's no wonder, no joy. They're only really interested in him obeying the Jewish law, which really they had added to. So they're probably thinking, these guys, uh, they're probably thinking of passages like Exodus 20 and Jeremiah 17, Nehemiah 13. These are passages that talk about the holiness of the Jewish Sabbath day of rest. And so all the law says is observe the Sabbath because it's holy. It's a holy day. Uh, Don't work on the Sabbath. Like, just chill, lay low, worship the Lord, right? And so what these guys did for these centuries kind of leading up to the first century is they had to figure out how do you apply that law. And so they actually created, like, I think there were about 39, um, like, bullet points of what work is that you could not do on the Jewish Sabbath. And one of them was you can't carry your bed. So that's why they say that to him. The heel guy says, when they say, hey, man, you can't do that. Who told you what's going on? And then he says, hey, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they go, who is the man who said, take up your bed and walk? Now, here's the thing. He doesn't know, which is amazing because perhaps John, the writer, is giving us some insight into what this guy is like, that he's not the most perceptive. He's not the most aware guy around, which I find very comforting because it means that Jesus is healing someone who doesn't deserve it. And you guys, that's the, I mean, that's one little angle of the gospel. The gospel comes to people who don't deserve it. People are healed who don't deserve it, and that's what grace is. And so he didn't even know who healed him, didn't know his name, didn't say, hey, before you go, who are you again? And so later that day, Jesus followed up with him in the temple, and the, you know, Jesus says what he said earlier to him. So then the man goes back, finds those religious guys, and say, oh yeah, um, it was this guy named Jesus who who healed me. And then what did they do with the information? The very last verse, verse 18, says that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Which is staggering because this is all taking place in like year one of Jesus's earthly ministry which means early on, um, Jesus was on the radar of these guys, and they were already kind of conspiring. We have to get rid of this guy. Okay, so how does the gospel speak into all of this? I want you to see verse 17 again. This is what Jesus says to the religious authorities. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. What's he saying to them? What's he saying? What does that say to us? I 
believe that all of us in the room, all of us have kind of this inner Pharisee that roams around. And this is true, I think, whether you're a Christian or not. We all have this kind of like legalistic guy who kind of roams our hearts and he's like smug, self-righteous, judgmental, and he's just, he's kind of just kind of hanging there. I kind of picture him like sitting in a lazy boy of our hearts. And he just kind of just, it's the voice that you hear when you have someone in your life and they might do something or believe something different from you and you're just heaping condemnation on them. You're just judgmental, judgy, smug. That's kind of this inner Pharisee that lives within each of us. And I think Jesus is saying that to address this. I think he would say this, you guys, you're more, you are more interested in the letter of the law than you are in the spirit of the law. You can try your best to meet all the requirements of the law. You try your best to obey the Ten Commandments. You can try your best to keep the Sabbath, but you will always fall short. You guys are like hamsters on the wheel of religious performance, running and running, trying and trying, working and working. My father is working. I am working. And I'm inviting you to throw all of your religious striving off and trust in my work for you. I am the law giver and I'm the law keeper. So let me do Again, this is Jesus speaking. Let me do what you can't. And rest your weary souls in my finished work. And I think he would say this to these religious people. I think he would say, look, I know that you want to obey God. I know that you want to pursue holiness. And I know you want to do the right thing. And you want to live the right way. But if, if that's not fueled, or coming out of my love and grace for you, if it's fueled only by duty and obligation and just keeping the rules, I think Jesus would say to them, that's not what I want. Yes, I want you to be holy. I want you to obey me. I want you to pursue holiness in every area of your life. But I want you to do it because you are melted by my love for you and you are melted that you can't do this you can't obey the law and so I did it for you right this is this is what we call in theology the um, oh man I just forgot <laughs> but there's a there is a theological concept here about Jesus living the life that we can't live. And so this is why his earthly life was so important. The cross and the, and the empty tomb are important. But those 33 years that Jesus lived, he obeyed the law perfectly. Never sinned. And then when we put our faith in him, this is all kind of in Paul's writings, the righteousness of Christ is then imputed or given to us. And I think that's what these religious guys that he's speaking into did not know. And that's why he says what he says in verse 17. 
My father's working and I'm working. I just remembered Jesus's active obedience. So Google that and go down that rabbit trail if you like. You guys, the religious guys that he's speaking to, they were just as paralyzed as the man by the pool was. And so are we. And so I want to encourage you here. Jesus says that he and the Father are working. Working on what? To make spiritually paralyzed people walk. And what Jesus did on the cross and off the cross accomplishes that. And so Jesus comes alongside each of us and he asks us this question, do you want to get well? And then he says to us, get up, take up your bed and walk. And so like this man, we are all spiritually paralyzed. We're all spiritual invalids. Like we can't save ourselves. We can't put ourselves in the pool. And so that's the beauty of grace, because Jesus does it, and he does all of it. Have you ever seen a turtle on a fence post? (laughs) You haven't? Can you picture it, Gentry? Someone put it there. And that's what... God's grace is. He does all of the work. And then we respond to him through faith. This week, uh, I want to encourage you guys uh, to wrestle with that question. Imagine Jesus coming to you and asking you, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? So I would encourage you to kind of take that one question and just explore where it goes. Because each of us in this room, we're all dealing with something. Whether it's something from our past, a past relationship that is extreme, extremely painful. Maybe we have trauma. Something happened to us. Something happened to a family member a family member did something to us, whatever it is, all of us in this room have something, some pain, because we live in a fallen, broken world, and we are fallen and broken. And so I'm encouraging you to take that question that Jesus asked, do you really want to get well? And then ask him, like, how do I respond to that question through faith? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you introduce us to people, uh, real people, who are, these are not fairy tales or fables. These are real stories that John wrote down, things that actually happened. And we're thankful that you uh, chose for John to record this story because We're a lot like this guy. We're a lot like the religious authorities in this passage, too. And so I pray for my friends um, as we go out from here, as we begin a new week. You would help us to wrestle with that question. And then 
perhaps you would open a door for us to ask that question to someone that we love and care for who may not know you. And perhaps that question can be a doorway um, into their hearts to where they get to hear the good news of Jesus for them. And so I pray um, that you would work through us, this church, in all of the relationships that we have outside this room, and that you would draw people to yourself by your grace and mercy. We pray in Jesus' name.